I hope that I can uh, live up to that. <laughs> I want to start out just with uh, events that happened. On, I'll try to make it real short because I've got so much that I want to bring out. You know, my wife um, passed away Friday. One of the things that I was telling others here, you learn lessons from, if you look for them, from tragedies or put-downs or something. And one of the lessons I, I learned, I, told, I think it was talked to Daryl last Saturday afternoon, Daryl and, and George. Um, a lesson I learned that seemed to be very important in, to my life is that when you lose something that you really have loved and worked at, and, and it goes away and it's no longer retrievable, what do you do? The thing about it is you need to take and do the best you can with what you have at the time. And, and it's been a hard deal. <clears throat> it's really been hard because we sometimes don't consider what God has given to us. And I'm talking about the church and the things that God has opened to our eyes. And in my lifetime of, in the church, I've been baptized this February, be 52 years. But I've been attending since uh, June of 63. And I look back on that time and say, did I utilize what God has given me to the fullest extent? I have eyewitnessed, had friends who walked away. So when I say when you lose something you can never retrieve, but it's possible to retrieve uh, for them, it's going to be tough. But when you lose it, what do you do? Do you sit back there and beat yourself up? So I'm just saying that what you have right now, you need to utilize it to the best of your abilities because it's, it's so very important. So we're going to go on then with the sermon. And that starts out with, if there is no vision, the people perish. And that's what I say when I say that if you lose something, if you lose the vision, you're going to hurt yourself. Turn to Leviticus 23. I started in verse one or two rather, speak to the children of Israel and say to them concerning the feast of the eternal. These days that God set up are his feast days. This is the whole plan of salvation covered. And sometimes we overlook that. But God gave that to us. And I have, like I said, eyewitness of people who walked away from this knowledge of the plan of salvation. I remember one person specifically said, because he wanted his son to be a professional baseball player, I know where the church is. He said this to me in, I think it was 
1969 or 68, do you think today that he could find the Church of God? I don't think so. I don't think he would find it. So these are God's feasts, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. In other words, he said, we should be here. He commands us to be here. Exactly the same thing that happened in Job, wasn't it? When the angels came to a commanded assembly by God, angelic hosts had to be there. We have to be there. Even these are my feasts. In the fourteenth day of the first month is the Passover. I did tell Daryl one thing I learned just last Sabbath. I mean, it's one of these things that come to your mind, you know. Another piece for me, or anybody else, is I go to the Passover, I eat Christ, because Christ himself said, I, he told the Pharisees and his disciples, he said, I am the bread of life. And when you understand that he wrote everything, he inspired all those people go to First uh, Peter, I think it's chapter 1 or Second Peter 1. He said, everything that's in this book is written by holy men as God moved them. So it's not their thoughts. It's not their ideas. It's Christ's ideas that he put through for us today. So... I eat the Passover. I eat Christ. Does that make me clean? We have a whole series on clean and unclean, holy and unholy. So I eat the bread of life. So now I'm getting life. But I can't become clean until what? The blood of Christ covers me. And so for 40 years, 42 years, whatever it was, I did the same thing. Come the morning of the 14th, I went back out and worked, ate hamburgers and as much as I could get into me because, hey, we're going to have seven days where we're going to have to eat that old unleavened bread stuff, matzos or whatever it is. And then I come to see last Sabbath, and, and I brought it out to Daryl. Isn't it strange that we did that, and then we go seven days of eating the bread of life, Christ, and think that for that short period of time, we're going to cover up that sin that we just now separated ourselves from Christ because it's the blood of Christ that separates us. And so we ate this bread, and then we tried to make it clean. Again, you can't do that. The clean will never make the unclean clean. It has to be the blood of Christ. Well, let me go on from there. Go to verse 16. Even... And this is after he's covered Passover, he's covered the uh, way sheath offering, he's covered Pentecost, which represents God's people. Verse 16, even unto the morrow, after the uh, seventh Sabbath, no, this is seventh Sabbath, the 50th day, so that's Pentecost. And then verse 24, speak to the children of Israel, saying, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, that's today. The seventh month, the first day of the month, shall you have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of the trumpets, a holy convocation. Notice the word, it doesn't say a memorial of the, of the Feast of Trumpet. 
So often we want to cover just the seventh trump, but this is the Feast of Trumpets. There are seven trumpets that are blown. Seven things happen. So this is the Feast of Trumpets. Revelation 19, verse 1. And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. This is after the seventh trump. No, this is the seventh trump that they're able to do this. The true and righteous, uh, for true and righteous are his judgments, God's judgments. For he has judged the great whore which had corrupted the earth with her fornication and has avenged the blood of his saints at her hand. Something major is coming down the line before that seventh trump because it says he's avenged them. And again they said, Hallelujah, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. There's going to be an end to that. And the four and twenty-four elders, so in God's throne, the, the angelic host, those that are around God, and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. This is an admonishment to us. If the, the heavenly host worships God and they fall on their face, what are we to do? And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and you that fear him, both small and great. So it's a command that we should praise God. We should look to our Father before we lose what we already have. We've been so blessed, so very blessed. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and a voice of many waters, and a voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. So that's the time of the seventh trump. There's much to happen before that. Turn now to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Verse 4, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Christ was warning the disciples. You are God's disciples. God is giving us a warning. He says, Take heed that you are not deceived, because it's possible to deceive humans. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. They're going to admit that he is Christ and shall deceive many, lead them astray. And, shall, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that it don't trouble you. Let me ask you a question. Do you see wars today? I mean, every place you turn, there's something happening. Even inside this country, they're trying to stir up wars. Wars between race, wars between uh, in people, you know, new immigrants coming into the country. Wars between whether you are a, quote, straight or a, quote, it's hard to say gay because 
That's not happy. Gay is being perverted to anything but being happy and nice. And they're trying to do all this. So we're trying to stir up wars. Are they happening today? Between in the Middle East, in Africa, in Asia? So he says, there shall be wars and rumors of wars, and see there shall be trouble. For all these things must come apart, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and we're seeing that, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famine. Is there famine today? And pestilence? Are there not diseases going over everywhere? And earthquakes in diverse places? I went on Steve Quayle last night, or not yesterday, and Steve Quayle listed that there were 32 earthquakes just Monday, or I guess it was Sunday when he when it comes on there, around the world, all of a magnitude of 2.5 plus. 32. So are there earthquakes going on? And notice what he said in verse 8. These are only the beginnings. This is only the beginning. There's more to come, he said. We might get upset, well, we've got the wars and, and we've got pestilence and disease and all this stuff happening, but Christ said, don't, don't, don't fret, because that's just the beginning of, of the problem. And then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. There's more to come, isn't there? And shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Plenty yet to come to look forward to. And then shall they shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. An admonishment to us. We need to be very careful, very careful how we live our life. Will we fall into that category of betraying one another? I did a sermon sometime back, or a sermonette, I forget which, and I asked the question, who is it that you wouldn't put your life on the line for? Or would you be the one to betray somebody else? And many false prophets shall arise, and we have that happening today, everywhere. And they'll deceive the people. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And that love is falling short in many areas. So I asked myself last night when I was writing this, how strong is my love for God, for Christ, for the church? You know, I have a great love for my wife, but how great is that love for Christ. Do I have, as I have for three days now, many, many tears from my wife? But again, I told Daryl, the tears ought to be for Christ, for the church. Do you get on your knees and cry that God will help the church? One of my wife's last times that she could communicate was pray for the healing of the church. But 
verse 13, He that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. I've seen a number of people fight it down to the end. They did not give up. A very close friend of mine in Houston, when he was 35, he was 35 years old, never gave up. He trusted that God would heal him. He died at 35 years old. He did not trust in man. He trusted in God. So, are you ready to endure to the end? And when there, and when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, are we going to be there? We have learned in this little group that we're going to build the temple. But we can't do it. We're small. It's going to take a group of people. And God's going to have to bring them together. And then the church at that time, the remnant, will put the temple together. And then, if you haven't given up, you will understand Daniel's prophecy that he's going to stand in in know Christ. And then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. And let him which is in the housetop not come down and take anything out, because you won't have time. You have to have it now. Paul said to us, work out your own salvation. See, you need to be doing this now. We need to put the time and effort into that now. And neither let him that's in the field turn back to take any clothes. If you turn back, you might not be there. Today, looking at the church today, and I look back at the past 52 years, I've seen many people turn back. We're on a journey that's going to give us eternal life. We have offered to us to be with Christ forever and ever, never to die. We have to be ready to do that. That's what this day is about. But a lot to come. And woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray you that your flight be not in the winter and neither on the Sabbath. Why would he say that in an area where they didn't have much winter. But we could say that here, couldn't we? Wouldn't it be pretty tough to flee to the mountains here if there's the temperature is like 9 degrees and snow on the ground? So uh, I pray that when this happens, that we will be, at least in spring... <laughs> Isaiah 12, I'm sorry, it's back to 20, verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation, when all this is beginning, Christ speaking to Matthew 24, shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. So he's saying when these trumpets start coming, it is going to be different than anything they've ever saw in all of man's history. Isaiah 12, uh, 2, verse 12. 
For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty, and upon everyone that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. So the day of the Lord is coming, and it's going to be upon everyone. I don't want it upon us. I don't want it upon the church. I want us to be so humble that we love each other to the point we want to help each other through each day. Verse 22 of Matthew 24. And except those days should be shortened. Why did God say that? Why did Christ say to the people, unless those days be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. That's pretty much telling me it's not going to be very easy. It's not going to be a, a, a light thing. It's going to be pretty tough. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So he promises us, if we have our heart and our mind and our attitudes to serve him and to think back, I don't want to lose this. You think about that. You do not want to lose this opportunity. But you could. Ezekiel chapter 7. Ezekiel chapter 7. Here God speaking to Ezekiel says, Moreover, in verse 1, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Also, Son of Man, thus says the Eternal God, unto the land of Israel, an end. Listen, he says. An end. The end is come upon the four corners of the land. That should be pretty, pretty plain, pretty much to think about, that God is saying, the end is coming. An end. The end. And the end, the end, is come upon all four corners of the land. And now is the end come upon you. And I will send mine anger upon you, and I will judge you according to your ways, and will recompense upon you all your abominations. Again, he's saying, we need to do a soul-searching attitude, because he said, this is not going to be a, a Boy Scout camp. It's not going to be as easy as the trip I had to basic training in the Air Force, which was like... like Less than a Boy Scout outing I've been on. No, an end, the end. And God is going to judge this world. And he's wanting to know where you stand. And my eyes shall not spare you, and neither will I have pity, but I will recompense your ways upon you, and your abominations shall be in the midst of you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So those that walk away, those that have had the blessings, and they walk away, and I can know many people in that past 52 years, people that I've loved, people that I thought were pillars in the church, and I don't understand but God's going to take... He already knows. And He's going to administer to each one of us. And thus says the Lord God, verse 5, And evil, 
and only evil, behold, is come. An end is come. The end is come. It watches for you. Behold, it comes. That should be pretty startling to us. This day, the Feast of Trumpets, representing those trumpets that will be blown. And when this begins, it is the end. It is coming. And so we have to look into our own personal lives and see where we stand. Back in Matthew 24, verse 23, Then, if any man shall say to you, Lo, here's Christ, or lo, or, or there, believe it not. Because there be deceivers that are going to take you different places. They're going to say, go here or there, or do something else. Do not believe them. You have already been fed knowledge. Just like Paul said to the Romans, I mean the Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 5. I came to bring you important information. But I find that you're not wanting to hear it. You're not ready for it because you've been sitting back lollygagging. That's why I said earlier, when you lose what you've been given and you find it's not retrievable, then you begin to really hurt. Verse 24, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the elect. God is going to have 144,000 brought into be the bride of Christ. He's offered it to us. Offered us a swan. If you lose that crown that God gives to you, it's difficult and probably impossible to retrieve. I've seen it happen too often. I just have seen it happen too many times. What Christ wants from us is to focus, put our attention, our whole effort into what he's doing. I've often prayed that God would be merciful enough on me that I can see what he's doing, that I can be where he wants me to be, and that when the time comes and he shows the two witnesses that I can say, I will support because that God has brought it out. There will be people that will not recognize those two leaders. Because we already read that. They will be, they will be against them. They will just not love them. First Thessalonians verse five, chapter five, rather verse two. First Thessalonians five two. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord uh, so comes as a thief in a night. What happens when people slip away? They forget the timing, and Christ will come upon them as a thief in the night. Because they're not aware. They haven't been studying. They haven't been putting their art there. They haven't been looking for those things. 1 Peter 4.7 1 Peter 4.7 But the end of all things is at hand. This day says to us, the end is at hand. Be you therefore sober 
watch unto prayer. We have an opportunity. God is giving each one of us that opportunity. He says, watch out for what's happening. You know, the trumpets are a sound of warning. They're going to start. It'll be a warning sound. Have we heard any of those trumpets? Isaiah 58, verse 1. Are we hearing a trumpet as it goes through our life in this day and time? Isaiah 58, 1 says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. I'm telling you, we are hearing a trumpet. Maybe not the trumpets that God's going to bring, but we are hearing a trumpet. A trumpet of warning of something is coming very quickly. And if you misread it, or you sit back and don't put your effort and time into it, where are you going to be? Will you be where God wants you to, or will you find something to pull you away? The trumpet is a call to repentance and turning to God. It's also pointing out the two witnesses coming. Revelation 11, where it talks of the two witnesses. Revelation 11, 3-7. And I will give power to my two witnesses. These two men will be backed up by the remnant. And they're going to be the ones out there in the front lines. They're the ones going to be hated, but, you know, those that support them are going to be hated just as much as they are. And Satan knows who they are. Satan is trying to destroy the church. Because we're the only ones that are wanting to do right. He doesn't worry about the world. They're in his hand. But if you're studying and growing and doing your part, God knows who you are. I can remember doing a sermon one time in, in a big group, and I had them turn the lights out and struck a match. That's who you are. In a great big audience, one little match, one little light. That's how Satan sees you. See, he knows you, and so does God. And God loves you and is going to work with you and help you. So these are my two witnesses. And they shall prophesy a thousand, two hundred, threescore days in, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of earth. That's who the two witnesses are. They are going to be seen by the world, and the world will hate them. But he's going to hate you, too, because you support them. Isaiah 18, verse 3. Now, I know I'm going through these scriptures, but they all point out to the coming or the, to this, this day, the Feast of Trumpets. 
multiple trumpets. Isaiah 18.3 All you inhabitants of the world and dwellers on the earth seek you when he lifts up an infant on the mountains and when he blows a trumpet, hear you. So when we hear that trumpet blowing, and today we're given an opportunity, we're hearing a trumpet blast. We have a voice crying out here right each, each Sabbath. Joel 2, I'll just read a couple of verses, a few verses here. Joel 2, verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm in the holy mountain. Let the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord comes, for he is nigh at hand. Warning by Joel that this is coming. Warning us to take note, to put our hearts and efforts and get on our knees and cry for God to forgive us, for God to heal the church, for God to bring us together in love. That's what God's calling. We're hearing a trumpet if we want to. Verse 12, Therefore also now, said the Eternal, turn you even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. He doesn't need us to tear our clothes. He needs to tear our hearts away from this world and turn to him and turn to the eternal our God for he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness and repentance repents him of the evil we have uh, Psalm 136 all the way through tells us how merciful God is Psalm 84 tells us how merciful God is so how do we know How do we know who they are? Because God sends us people that teach us. Are we willing to put aside our thoughts and our actions and listen to God? I'm telling you from experience that God appoints people to teach. And not only does he appoint them to do that, he gives them the message that they need to teach. Christ has done that from day one. Genesis 1, all the way through to the time Christ returns. He has appointed people. Go back and look at Isaiah and Jeremiah. Look at the minor prophets. Look at Noah and David and Solomon and Herbert Armstrong. And how many others that have been there? God appoints people. And he says here in Romans 10, verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Eternal shall be saved. Again, he's saying, if we will call on him and try with our hearts to him, cry with our hearts, you're going to have the right place to be and you will be saved. For how then shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? I'm telling you, I never believed until I heard that message in 1962 sitting on Holloman Air Force Base and I heard a message that says, 
blow the dust off your Bible. Spend the time in there. This is where it is. And I said, I never heard that before. How was I able to understand that this is where I should be? And how shall they believe in him who they have never heard? I never heard the truth about Christ and God. I never really knew them. Until when? God opened my eyes through a human being that God appointed and gave him a job and he taught me. And how shall they hear without what? A teacher? A teacher here is a preacher. And he always said, we learn by the foolishness of preaching. And how shall they preach except they be sent? So here he said that he will appoint people. And I fully believe that I came to the knowledge of God because he appointed Herbert Armstrong to teach me. And except they be sent. And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which are and was and which are to come, because you have taken to you great power and, and, has, a, and has reigned. So, I'm here because a man who God selected brought me here. Now I'll go into some more of the day. So, you know, I said this is a day of multiple trumpets. Not just the last trump, which is the... That's the fantastic part. That's the joyous part. But there's a lot to come before that happens. Revelation chapter 8, verse 2. Revelation 8, 2. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them was given seven trumpets. So he's saying there's going to be something ahead of us, and he warned us ahead of time, and he admonished us to go on to that. Verse 6. And the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to, uh, to sound. The first angel, verse 7, sounded. And there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth. And a third part of the trees was burned up, and all the green grass had burned up. Have we seen anything lately in this country? across the west of this country where a whole town practically burned down where thousands and thousands of acres have all burned up burned up all the grass and all the trees that's just the beginning of it this is just the beginning of what's going to happen but we do get a, a, an insight and we can see a fire rip through a whole village and take it out when the trumpet blows that first angel how much of this earth is going to be suffering under fires? Hail, 
and fires caused by lightning striking the earth. You know, John, when he wrote these things, never heard of a helicopter, never heard of a jet aircraft, never heard of an atomic bomb. But God gave him a vision of those things, and so he just tried to tell us on perspective of what he had around him, what it would be like. And so when he says all this stuff's burned up, what is it going to be like? He didn't know. He didn't know what a a flamethrower would do to people. He didn't know what an atomic bomb would do to the place, and neither did we as people until Nagasaki and Hiroshima. And what's going to happen when this starts happening? Verse 8, And the second angel sounded, and it was, as it were, a great mountain burning with fire and cast into the sea. And a third part of the sea became blood, and a third part of the creatures which are in the sea. And the life died, and a third part of the ships were destroyed. You know what we've done as people? I can tell you for a fact. We produced all kinds of wretched chemicals. And so, in order to dispose of these things, we barreled them up, put them in some kind of a barrel, cast them in concrete, took them out to the middle of the Gulf of Mexico and dumped them out. Now, does God have to do something spectacular? Or did we do it ourselves? What happens when these canisters break loose? What happens when we start shooting rockets at each other's ships? We set off a nuclear explosion in the water close to a land. We cause a massive tsunami. We can go back and see what happens in tsunami when done in the, in the Caribbean and over in Japan and in many other places. So the second angel sounded, and a mountain burning with fire went into the sea, causing horrendous tsunamis. Chapter verse 10. And a third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains and the waters. And the name of the star was Wormwood. And a third part of the waters became wormwood, and many uh, died of the water because they were made bitter. We have a lot of chemicals that we can do. John didn't know of a ICBM. He didn't. He might have been able to see stuff coming in from out of sight. Is that an ICBM? Something that we shoot at each other? Is it a rocket that we fire from a, sh- a tank or a, a hand loader? I mean, there are people, they go out there and shoot these rockets at each other, and there's flames come out, and they destroy a lot. John did not see, he didn't know what that was. And so when he says he sees a star falling from heaven, could that be a, an ICBM falling on the, on the waters or on the land? So he tried to tell us what he could understand, but we have to grasp what we are today and can understand we're at a point where we can destroy the world. Verse 12. And the fourth angel sounded. So here's the fourth trumpet. 
and a third part of the sun was smitten, and a third part of the moon, and a third part of the stars, so that a third part of them was darkened, and the day shone for a third part of it, and the night likewise. What would happen today if just up from us, just what, 400 miles up there, if Yellowstone blew up? And they think it's going to. They're predicting it's going to happen. It will knock out the sun, the moon, the stars, the daylight all around the world. It happens all the time. Verse 13, And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of the heaven, saying with a loud voice, See, we had four trumpets, three yet to come. It's already been tough. We've already been suffering and hurting and things are happening around us. And he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's pretty, pretty saddening. He says, whoa. It's getting worse and worse and worse. And the inhabitants of the earth, by reason of the of, of other voices of the trumpet, of the three angels which had yet to sound. Something more spectacular than has ever happened before. And the fifth angel sounded. Verse nine, chapter 9, verse 1. And I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he turns loose all of those that are going to destroy this earth. We're going to have war and fighting that you've never heard of before. Never heard. Verse 14. Saying to the sixth angel, which, is, which had, loosed, had the trumpet, loose the four angels which had bound the great water Euphrates. And then verse 15. This then is the beginning of a a bad part, but also a joyous part. And the seventh angel sounded, and there was a great voice from heaven saying, This is what makes it so fantastic. This is why we can celebrate this day. Yes, we're going to see horrendous things occurring, but this day, the kingdom of God, the kings of, of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. When that trumpet blows, Christ is taking over. And the four and twenty-four elders that sat upon the throne of God, or sat before the throne of God, fell upon their face and worshipped God. This day, the bright side of this day, then. Isaiah 25. Isaiah 25, verse 8. The bright side of this day. Something that we can look to with joy. Oh, we, we hurt when we think of billions of people are going to die. I mean, you have to understand, it's not just 10 or 20 or 100 or 1,000 or like when... Nagasaki or Hiroshima when 23 or 24,000 died in 
instant. They were vaporized in a moment of time. We're going to see and live through, if we obey God, billions of people. Was there six or seven billion on this planet? And maybe a hundred thousand live through it? Billions are going to die. Nothing like has ever happened before. Isaiah 25, verse 8. He will swallow up death in victory. Isn't that joyous to think that God is going to swallow up death in victory? And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off the eyes, off the face. And they will re- and the rebuke of the, his people shall be taken away from off all the, the earth, for the Lord has spoken it. That's joyous. God's going to remove and give us joy. He's going to take our rebuke away from us. And he shall be and it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him. Are you waiting for him? If you are, you're not going to be pulled away by deception any time by anybody. And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Chapter 10, verse 7. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when it shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he has declared to his servants the prophets. All through the Bible, God is talking about a family development. And when that seventh trump blows, his mystery is going to be over. 1 Corinthians 15:52 For in a moment in the twinkling of eye at the last trump the trump shall sound the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed can you imagine what's going to be in the world these people are have killed the two prophets, uh, two witnesses they've rejoiced over it And all of a sudden, they stand up. And you talk about fear, they will have passed that point. They will be so afraid, because then they will remember some of the things that were said. And the seventh angel should sound, there were great uh, voices in heaven saying the kingdom of, our, of the, this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever and the four and twenty elders fell on their face we should be falling on our face every day we're told to seek God first that has to be the first and foremost thing in our life Is that the first and foremost thing in my life? I have, since the death of my wife, been on my knees more. And recognizing the need that I have for Christ. First Thessalonians 4, 
the last chapter, the last, the last scripture. First lesson, First Thessalonians four, verse. Let's start in verse fifteen. For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent those that are asleep. Yes, those that are asleep, those that have dedicated their life and trusted God to the end will raise first. They will be changed. And then it goes on. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with him. The seventh trump. The trump of God. We can't take this physical body to heaven. So how is it? I, I tried to imagine that. To say, all of a sudden, you start lifting up and you see this physical body laying on the ground. We're going to be given a new body. Not this body that's old and wrinkled and wore out, but a body that will never wear out. Where do you stand? Are you crying every day that you can be a part of what's going to happen on that seventh trump? It's very important. Paul ended that with this, and I'm going to end with it too. Comfort you, wherefore comfort one another with these words.